Hello, Connie. Okay. Lord, thank you for uh, just uh, this time. We thank you uh, for just the, the numbers that uh, sounds like are at Mountain America. We pray that uh, many that go would hear the good news and respond. And not just have this one moment in an arena, but they would get uh, plugged into a church and, and live a life of, of just a devotion to you by your Holy Spirit and share your love with others. So Lord, uh, we know you can do it. We pray also, I think, for just the, the, the LDS community, Lord. Many, many of them might show up to this tonight. I pray that they would uh, uh, receive the real Christ and uh, bless our time in your word and we thank you for it in jesus name amen. amen okay so we've been talking about uh the significance of the death of john the baptist and we kind of ended with the fact that john said well he must increase and i must decrease great motto for for uh us as believers i was thinking of uh whenever we drive lara's car her radio works. So we have like Caleb or Air One on and uh, on our way home today, they were uh, praying, playing Zach uh, Williams. And I'm like, okay, what's that? You know, uh, and, and the song basically goes uh, a little more of Jesus and a little less of me. I'm like, how about a lot more of Jesus and, and none of me, you know? <laughs> but that's really what, what, what John the Baptist, you know, not only preached, but also experienced, right? He got out of the way. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And this is a challenge for us as believers, right? We, we still um, have identity in this world. Um, and part of the growth in the Christian life is recognizing that our, actually our identity is, is not in who we are. It's not as a dog groomer, right? I mean, that happens to be what you do. Uh, it's not as a pastor. It's not as a, a librarian. It's not as a paper pusher. <laughs> I'm just a paper right, right. pusher. Well, but I think, uh, yeah, but I think well, that pans too. You a pusher. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, that, that it's, it, that's what we get caught up in. We want to identify ourselves with our hobbies, with our, especially with our careers. Um, you know, being a housewife and a, and a stay-at-home mother is not attractive anymore. So people go out and get careers and, you know, rather than saying, no, this is what I'm going to be or, you know, whatever. And so for us, and I remember I had a pastor friend of mine um, who said to me, he goes, you know, Kirk, we have to make sure that, all right, that we're good enough with just being God's kid and not being a pastor. Uh, you know, now we have the joy of being a pastor and I, and I love being a pastor, but, but ultimately my identity is not caught up in being a pastor. And we find a lot of, just on a side note, but we find a lot of people in, that are in full-time ministry for a number of years that they have a hard time retiring because they don't know their identity outside of being in church work. Um, and so it's a huge, there's that plus the, the lack of younger pastors coming up that make them feel guilty. And then, but you really, a lot of times pastors um, don't have, don't give themselves the liberty to have a hobby, right? Yeah. I was just yeah. listening. Do you listen to Steve Deese? Uh-uh. Yeah. He's a, has a radio, well, it's a podcast. Yeah. He's on the Blaze. And okay. he was just saying that. It's like, try to find. Yeah. Younger pastors, it's hard to find. Well, it's not an attractive line of work, all in quotations. 
Um, but most pastors don't give themselves, um, in, and, and congregations don't encourage it either, pastors to have a passion outside of church work. Uh, yeah, they might like to go fishing. Yeah, they might like to golf. Yeah, they might like to do the other things. But nothing that when they don't, when you remove pastoral work, that really can occupy their time. And so, um, and it's hard because the, you know, pastoral work, any of us can have our work be completely consuming. It's very easy to do. It doesn't matter what line of work you're in. And you get burned out. Yeah. Some, some lend more well, towards that. Yeah, that's what he was saying. It was just like you have these old, older pastors who love, but it, there's nobody to hand it down to. Yeah, so they feel guilty if they leave, and so they die in the pulpit, yeah. and the result's the same other than the fact that they were very burnt out at the end. <laughs> so, uh, but Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we have to be careful to not say, well, that was Paul the Apostle. No, this is us. We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live, but the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for us. And so our identity is no longer in, like John the Baptist, I'm this, this, this preacher Who's calling people to repentance and baptizing them? You, you know, no, I, I'm going to compete with Jesus. He said, no. And, and you know, he could have. In the flesh, he could have. He had a great following. Uh, most people believe that when he sent his disciples to Jesus when, while he was in jail, that it was for his disciples to turn their attention to Jesus. Not because John the Baptist was confused with who God, with who Jesus was. He's like, you guys need to go to him because I'm supposed to get out of the way here. And he is supposed to come on the scene. I did my job. I prepared the way, told people to repent. And then Jesus came in and fulfilled that. Colossians 2 verse 20. Next we're going to be at 220 also. Uh, We'll see if this is right. We'll go start at 19 and go through. Uh... Twenty-two is fine. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm on 120. I was like, I'm going okay. (laughs) What version is that? (laughs) So let's go to Colossians 2.20. I was making sure you're all awake today. (laughs) If with Christ, who died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to the, all that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Again, so what the Apostle Paul is doing, especially with the Colossians, with the Galatians, and you'll see this pretty much throughout all the epistles, is saying, quit identifying yourself as those apart from Christ, as the things that are done apart from Christ. So when we look at the ministry of John the Baptist, though he was a separate ministry of Christ, 
he understood his ministry was to point attention to Jesus. And so that's what we struggle with. Well, I can't speak for you, but I think that's what we struggle with is that we just get caught up in whatever we're doing, <laughs> at least I do. And it's like, oh, that's right, I'm, I'm here actually to not have people look at myself. Like I'm going a week from Monday, I fly to Louisiana speaking at a conference in Louisiana. Where at? Slidell, Louisiana. So. Slidell or Sli- Lidell? Slidell. Slidell. 45, 45 minutes from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so yeah. I'm presenting my work that I've done to all church workers for the southern district, so four states and whatnot. And it'd be easy for me, and I have to intentionally go through as I'm going through my stuff, I said, how am I making sure that this points back to Jesus? How am I making sure that, yeah, these are great tools, but the author of everything is Jesus? So how do I do that? Because it could be easy to be about, look at what I've done, look at my work, look at these tools I've created. And it's not about that because I want... You know, we want Christ to do the work. Um, and so it's one of those things that we have to, I think, cognitively be aware of that our flesh is sneaky. Because I think all of us here would say, well, we always want it to be about Jesus, right? We, and we all would say, we know Jesus is way better than us, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Barb's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah really, yeah. He's, he's a little bit better, you know? <laughs> But I think that, that the challenge is, is that, that our flesh still has our the ability. To, well, it grabs, our, it grabs the attention somehow. Um, and it's, in the Christian world, it's very easy mm-hmm. because we say, well, look at me and how spiritual I am. Like, and, and it's not like we even, it doesn't even, make, it doesn't even look like that. But it's, you know, well, you know, um, you know those people that, well, you know, I was reading my Bible this morning. And, and just that, even though it's not intended to take away from Jesus, immediately the flesh goes, ha ha, <laughs> I can distract that person with that. Oh, if I could just read my Bible every day, if I could just understand stuff the way that that person does, you, you know. Um, and so we as, as believers have to be careful that even our good spiritual disciplines that we practice don't distract from Jesus and it's hard it's a balance there's not a because you it is important to share you know especially when people are like man you know I'm just having a hard time reading the Bible you know or I'm having a hard time praying or whatever and they come to you or they ask you um, you know it's easy for us to say we'll just do this right this is what I do instead of going well, yeah, you know, it's it's not an exact science, but there is a it's a it's a labor of responding to the Holy Spirit and seeking your your for help. But here are some tools that might help. You know, because not every tool is going to work for every person. Just because, hello, Sorry. just yeah, I didn't wow. That. Just because I give uh, reading plans at the end of every year for people to read through the Bible doesn't mean that every person can do that. I mean, I know a handful do. Um, but even I intend to read through the Bible on that every single time, and I don't do it very well. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> well, that's why. Why do you think I gave us only the the, the New Testament this year? Because because Leviticus and even you know Deuteronomy and Numbers can be like, and then you you know you read First Samuel and Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, and like this is all the same because it's just. You know, they're kind of saying that this, from different kingdoms showing the same thing. So, just do a play for each book. <laughs> <laughs> when I went to see David, I was like, this is how it should be all yeah. the time. It's so no, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now we can see it. No, exactly. Colossians 3 3. I'm going to go to the right chapter here. 
Okay, so you, it wasn't that you were completely wrong. You were going to eventually get there. Um, oh, yeah, only because I was looking at it and going, well, boy, I better read some more verses to make this fit to what we're talking about. Because <laughs> uh, I'm like, that's a weird place to start. Anyway, uh, that, that, uh, that one doc talk, whatever those guys are, I said, uh, my wife said that, uh, what happened? my wife said that, that you don't listen to me when I'm speaking. And I thought, that's a weird way to start a sentence. <laughs> so, anyway. Okay, 3.3 three of Colossians. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, why not? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I think, again, these are one of those things that, that we, I, I really have thought for years that, churches and Christians have what I call an identity crisis. God has changed us. We are no longer who we used to be. Um, but a lot of the um, idea of Christianity is, well, you can just be guilt-free and forgiven, um, but there's no real change in who you are. And that's not the gospel. You're, you were dead, and now you're alive. Um, you were buried with Christ, and now you were raised with Christ. You're a new person in Christ. The old has passed away. And so when we look at that, that means we need to understand, well, what does the new look like? Um, and that means that the old is gone. So not that John the Baptist is the old, but really he was. He goes, I got to get out of the way so that Christ can come on the scene. And that's where we, where Jesus says, deny yourself, right? And take up your cross. Romans 6, verse 8. We'll wrap up a little bit about John the Baptist here. Mm, excuse me. Romans 6, verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Um, so this whole thing that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 6 here is the, the idea of, of the significance of baptism. Not only the reality of the means of grace that baptism affords us, but also what is really happening in baptism. Your life is being buried with Christ and you're raised to new life. Uh, and so again, this is our old life decreasing and the new life in Christ, him only being what is, is seen. And this is a constant process. I don't like to use that term a lot because it gets wonky in Christianity. They use the word process. But we are in a process of learning that it's all about Jesus and not about us about learning how to deny the flesh for God's ways are better than ours. Well, what do you think so. even the Ephesians verse that you always, and I didn't mean to make that sound, but you always, yeah. oh my gosh, you always. That's fine. Yeah. I, I, have a hand, yeah. I have a handful of verses. Well, here we go again with that verse. <laughs> but that Ephesians verse about, about um, uh, how we are a work in progress, you know, that's Ephesians 2, isn't it? And you always share Ephesians 4. I don't know about, I don't say a work in progress. Are you talking about the work that we, that he has predestined that we would walk that in? That he has prepared for, for us. us. to walk in it. That's Ephesians 2.10. And then what's the Ephesians 4 one that you always do too? That's building one another up in love. Okay. So, Second Corinthians 5.17, I, is about, we were, you know, in a new Christ, 
anyone in Christ is a new creation, the oldest passed away, the newest come. No, I was thinking of the Ephesians too. Yeah, so by, you, for by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not of your own, it's the work of God, is the, you know, yeah, that one. Well, what's the rest of it say? Uh, for we are God's workmanship created right. in Christ Jesus. That right there. Yeah, we're his poem. Yeah. His so, work and, art, and that's a. I don't know why. I guess when I hear that verse, it just makes me think of the writing process, you know, of a poem. Well, the writing process of a song. Well, writing, if you think about yeah, the, the process sure. of a piece of art. Well, you I would know, say a process to that it. the Hebrews so, 12 that I quote a lot is probably more in line with what you're saying. Hebrews he, 12? Yeah, that is fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher author of our fit, faith. Right, the author and, and then the author of our faith. Philippians 1, verse 6, who began a good work and you is faithful to complete right. it. Right, okay. So, yeah. 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 So those... So he's doing the work, are but... All, they're all very spherical, right? They're but, all connected. They're all attached. If you turn the, the sphere one way or the other, those verses kind of all... That's us. It's kind of connected, know? the yeah. Bible, so you're saying. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, and just in just that too, that we are this making of the Lord's, and and that He's always at work. Well, and that's why those ministries that that have someone who is a who works pottery, and they're talking about you know the verses that He is the the potter and we're the clay, and you know it's a very good visual to show. Uh, you know, one that we saw all the time. He would build this beautiful vase and then he would talk about the work that God does. You know, he, you know, he might look great on the outside, but then he's just pulling all this garbage out from the inside and say, this is what God's doing. And then he would cut the thing in half and you go, oh no. He's like, it was supposed to be a bowl the whole time. You just thought it was supposed to be this pretty vase, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, just a great visual for us to go, God's doing this work. The clay the clay gets watered and it gets molded and shaped by the very hand of the potter. And so it's just a, you know, and there's a couple of verses that really show that. So um, Matthew chapter 14, back to Matthew. So John the Baptist decreased mightily, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> jail and lost his head. So, you know, that kind of puts him a uh, little less of a man than he was, at least about 12 inches shorter. Um <clears throat> Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. Now, this is right after Jesus had been told that John the Baptist had died. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for them. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides the women and children. Um, So on a side note, in seven weeks we're going to go to where they believe this happened. Uh, There's only a couple places actually around the Sea of Galilee that this makes sense. Um, So... uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, one of the videos will show you some stuff too if you watch the videos. So um, 
as I send them out every Monday. So, uh, but I also watch the other ones they send out. Oh yeah, so I don't like the ones that EO sends out. The oh no, that, I just, there was one that they, it was about where all the water came down. Oh yeah, yeah. It was that. So we see sorrow from Jesus here, right? Um, now he's tired. He's sorrowful that he lost a cousin, a man who was proclaiming that people to repent. Um, now there is a different message that John the Baptist gave. He said, repent. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? So there's a difference in, in, their, in, their, um, <laughs> in their message. Um, but we see here that you know, he withdrew to a desolate place when he heard this. And they followed him on foot, though. So, um, he, you know, he tried to get by himself. That didn't happen. But then he sees the people. And he had compassion on them. And I think that this is just for us, just for a moment to go. There are times, and I can't speak for you, um, there are times where I don't want to deal with people. And that seems to be the time that someone comes in great need. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man. Uh, but here's the heart of God that comes through. Uh, here's, here's, you know, you see this in Jesus. We've experienced that where um, you normally don't have the capacity to be nice to somebody. I know you're always nice. Laura's always nice. Laura's actually always nice. Sharon, Sharon has told us she's not always nice, so I can't say that. Um, but, I mean, you know, sometimes you just get, and people think that, um, that I really like to be around people, and that's really not true. Um, I'm, I'm not an extrovert. Uh, I, I do well around people and I do like people, but it doesn't fuel me. I have no problem being by myself. Uh, and so sometimes when I'm by myself, and also admit here at the office and I see someone drive in, I'm like, there goes my peaceful day. (laughs) (laughs) And then God says, what you keep telling people, what are you inviting me into today? That applies to you too, buddy. And I'm like, okay, all right, Lord, help me because... You know, even what might seem insignificant to me is not necessarily insignificant in the kingdom. And so, um, you know, so we see this. Jesus is not put out by people. Uh, and so I'm thankful that we have this example because, yeah, I could sit there and go, well, yeah, but he's Jesus. You know, yeah, oh, but then I just got through talking about how our life is no longer our own and it's, he, we died and we're hid in Christ. So guess what? This is my life too. This is our life. When, when we see people in need, we have compassion on them. See, Jesus understands when we want to be by ourselves, especially after disturbing news. So that's the first thing. He's acquainted with how we feel. I think sometimes we think that Jesus was just this person who um, just was always around people and always happy and didn't feel the way that uh, he, he was acquainted with, with humanity completely. He felt sorrow. He felt pain. He felt disappointment. Uh, he felt grief. Uh, now, he didn't feel it necessarily the same way that we do because he was also God. <laughs> so, but it's not like he can't understand when we're in pain. It's not he can't understand when we don't want to do something that God's asking us to do. Like when he said, "Please don't." If there's another way, God, take this from me. Um, it's not like he can't understand when other people disappoint you because then he goes over to disciples and they're sleeping. And he's like, can't you just 
you know, or he gives this great moment to Peter, says, oh man, you know, what you just said was wonderful. The God, Lord, you know, revealed this to you. And then the next section of passage, he's looking at Peter and saying, get behind me, Satan. So I think, you know, he understands all of that. And so that's comforting to me that, and that's why I love the Psalms and I encourage people um and since you're people i encourage you to be familiar with the psalms well because psalms to me are just a great picture of the christian life of ups and downs uh you got you've just got this this constant um oh i'm gonna praise you forever and ever and then the next psalm i'm low to the dust everyone sees my sin i should not even be alive anymore and the wicked are always winning and oh but wait a second i'll praise the lord everything's great now there was times he was taking his medication and yeah yeah well david was an extremely emotional person and and even this and and all the people who contributed the psalms were, were artists musicians and you know musicians tap into to a, a side of them that is a little more uncontrolled than others will just say that. But we also see here Jesus trying to get to a desolate place by himself and the crowds would not let him. So we also see that the world does not stop because you're disheartened. How many times have you dealt with grief or had a bad news report and you can't just escape? You, you know... Um, you know, I kind of felt that when Laura was beginning to go through everything, you, you, you know, I couldn't just turn my phone off, it, you know, um, and then there's this part of me that's going, I'm sure I'm missing somebody, right? You know, all this, but yet I'm trying to be attentive. Um, now, whatever, we're used to the hospital, so we're old friends. Um, <laughs> but Isaiah 53, 3. And yet it could still be worse. You're still here. So I guess that's a good thing, right? I say it what? 53.3. Adds to our insanity, that's all. Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by a man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Let's go ahead and read verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Uh, But again, this idea of him relating to us. He understands. This is why it's so important that the blood of bulls and goats, they can't carry, they can't understand us, right? Right? I mean, I love my dogs, and sometimes I think they understand, and they feel things, right? I mean, they know when things aren't right, but they, they don't feel it the way that we feel it as people. They're just not, they're not the same. Jesus was the same. Hebrews chapter 2. The same yet radically different. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
So when we struggle with something, when we have disappointment, when we have grief, our tendency is to go to self, selfishness, self-loathing, a woe is me, victim mentality. I mean, that's just where we go. And it's very encouraged in our society today. Well, Jesus understands the tendency to go there, but he also never went there. So he understands that he's given you the ability to not wallow in your sorrow, to not identify as one without hope, um, because he has won that for you. And, and again, and that's why you look at our world today and go, they just need Jesus. Because all, the, all the, the reactions and the feelings and the emotions that people have are searching for something stable that Jesus provides, yet they would not have it, right? <laughs> because it's not, well, you all know people <laughs> who that's, you're like, you just need Jesus, and they've heard that Jesus loves them. They've heard about it. They're like, no, 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 no. I'll try anything else. They're closed off to it. I'll try anything else. Yeah. Um, I'm not recommending this movie per se, but uh, Man on the Moon, old, older film, older. Um, uh, Andy, the Andy Kaufman story. Um, and Jim Carrey does a fantastic job. But he has, you know, he's dying of cancer. And he searches everywhere, every religious system, everything, except for Christianity. And he dies broken and miserable. That was a good movie. And, and you're going, it was good, but you're like, and I remember watching it. You were in Montana. But I remember I watching it. it. Huh? I still haven't watched yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I remember feeling so grieved afterwards and going, he tried everything but, what the, but the truth. And that's our world. They're trying everything. But, you know, oh, we're not going to even consider, we're going to discount Jesus altogether. We're not even going to consider it. I mean, it, and, and I don't know how accurate that movie was, but Christianity, our God, I mean, the true and living God, was never brought as an option. It was all Eastern, you know, medicine and things that he was trying. So, um, anyway, but Jesus understands, he's acquainted. And then we see this shift here, and a lot of times um, churches will teach this is only a message for a pastor, but I really believe all of us are called to share the gospel. All of us are called to bring Jesus to other people, and so we can't just sit there and go, oh, well, I, don't, I can discount this part of scripture when he sees the people and has compassion and heals the sick and provides for them as just for, you know, well, those are for those in ministry. We're all in ministry. Um, I wouldn't say we're all pastors. I have a friend who would say that, but that's a, that's a weird story, you know. But but we're but we're a holy priesthood. We are those who are called to proclaim the goodness of God, and so we see here what I believe is a ministry that draws from the strength of the spirit and not the flesh. Clearly, Jesus was wanting to be alone in his flesh, but yet the crowds would not let him, uh, and. I find that, and you guys I think would all agree, that there are these moments where I'm the most effective for Christ when I'm the least able as in my flesh. And I don't know it a lot of times. Um, I remember years ago, so the, 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 the stage, I'll call it, that we did worship on in New Mexico was uh, 40 feet across and 32 feet deep. So it was kind of big. And so we would walk up the back, because they had two entrances, and so the half of us would walk up one way, 
then the other half the other way to get on to, to do music. And I remember walking up the ramp and pausing for a minute and thinking, I am so inadequate to do this. I mean, how, how am I supposed to lead people to praise a holy God? I, I just can't do it. And, and, and the Lord said, he goes, good, now go. <laughs> you know. You've, you've had your time of self-pity. Self, right. Now get up. No, he's like, he's, like, he's, like, he's like, I'm glad you recognize that. Now go on the strength of the Lord is basically what it is. Okay, so, so this is something like, you know, when we practice with Bonnie and, and Lake and I practice, one of the things I always pray is, Lord, what we're doing is, is a spiritual moment that we could never manufacture. We can manipulate emotions in the flesh. And we can manufacture a false sense of um, endorphins, right? We can do that. Uh, you know, you can go running on a treadmill. You can go dancing and get that high that you get from doing that. Uh, you can do that in worship. But to really have a true encounter that's, that's, that's in a worship service, no matter how that looks, that there's actually something of eternal value, we in the flesh have no ability to do that. So Jesus sees compassion and he serves others. Um, he couldn't escape the crowds. Guess what? Even though we live in Idaho, you can't escape people. As much as you want to try, you can't. even Ted Kaczynski could not escape completely. They found his shack. Um, you know, um, but I think something else that's really important for us is that Jesus does not grow weary in serving us. Because I think sometimes... Um, we don't want to bother God with what we're going through or we feel like, oh, he doesn't want to hear this again or this seems to be always my problem or, you know, why do I, by now he's probably frustrated that I haven't just gotten the point or learned my lesson. Um, (laughs) It's not true. It's not true. Uh, So we never want to, we never want to uh, diminish God's patience and long suffering and desire to heal us at all times. He has compassion for all people. Matthew 9, verse 36. Since it's been five years since we were there. Um, One of my favorite scriptures. Matthew 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I need to remember that when I see people who are acting like fools. Or just oh as you goodness. drive through Fred Meyer parking. No, that's what I'm talking. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm talking about. You, you know, um, or when I watch the news. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there, you know, you listen to these people and you're like, because we're in our right mind now that we've had Christ. But if you don't have Christ, you're not in your right mind, and so you expect people to be in their right mind because they're educated, and they're not. They're, they're lost, but they're harassed and they're like sheep without a shepherd. And so I have to always go, wait a second. Wow, God really loves them. I'll have to remember that because I always say they're wearing their sign. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. It's, just, well, it's written all over. Well, but it's true. I mean, they, they, but they don't know any better. They're just in darkness. And I have it. I, Who was that? It's that saying of the lights are on, but nobody's home. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. mind is yours, but not your own. <laughs> the babies rattle around yeah. in but, a box cartoon. But I often, I often find myself having an expectation of people that's extremely unfair. You know, how many times have you heard over, over the last generation? Because I think it's been more, they should know better. 
And I think we're realizing more and more they don't, they don't know, know. They better. just don't know better. Uh, we expect them to know better, but the reality is they really, truly don't know better. Who was I talking to? You were, were you with me? No, it was Wednesday night. Uh, and the guys started talking about how the younger generation doesn't know how to fix anything. You know, because their dads don't show them. And I'm like, yeah, but their dads don't know how to do it. I mean, you know, my dad tried to teach me how to build. We build a project every single summer. Um, I just, I, I had no interest in it. And and no desire. Like, he loves fixing cars, used to. I, yeah, I can fix a car. Do I like to? No. Do I want to? Never. It takes a real special yeah. Well, sometimes you have to, right? Sometimes, sometimes you have to, but some people legitimately enjoy it and have an acumen towards it. I don't have that. It, you know, and so I think that, that again, it, but often we can make a broad statement like, well, the younger generation doesn't know how to fix anything because nobody taught them how. And, and I'm like, well, of course. They don't know how. They don't know how. We don't know how to cook our own dinners like we used to. We don't know how to... I mean, just think about all the things that we have as convenience now that, that we never used to have. We're all old enough as, in this room to remember when this didn't control our lives. And I won't mean control, but I mean, just think about how you get TV now. Yeah, it's over there. Wait. I remember over. remote controls that were actually a wire attached to the TV. And only it went so your dad put his chair so that he could still hold the remote and no one would trip over it as it I went by. Well, I was a remote control too. But, but you know, the things that, that of convenience that we have created, people really don't know better for a lot of these things that we're complaining about. It was one of the things that when um, COVID hit... <laughs> And after the first, you know, few weeks, um, I I had conversations with some of the parents that were like, you know, this has actually turned out to be a good thing. While it was, it's been crazy, and we're, you know, we're still trying to find where we left our head. <laughs> we're, we we really are coming to see that, you know, our family was involved in way too many things, or like one of the young gals that I had. She was like, yeah, me and my mom are baking together. Mm-hmm. I have never been in the kitchen to bake before. I mean, like what you were saying, you know, and so about the whole car thing, I, you know, and I think to some degree, like we have gotten into a society that it isn't just that we're not teaching them how technology has changed our way of living so much. And and the um, and the tools that we use so much. I mean, especially vehicles. When you think about how much is you know, well, you need a special tool for everything now. Yeah, you know, yeah. your husband's buying tools all the way. <laughs> you know, I'm just so happy his truck is like a 1984. Right, and how many? Like, it's one of those he can crawl up inside yeah. and actually I work. Remember, on. Like microchip type thing. You could see everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the of the thing. I can't yeah, anymore. Yeah. Right. And so, so, I mean, you know, and, and, but what your point is, I think, Lara, too, is that we don't have to mm-hmm. anymore. It's a lot easier to and cheaper to replace something than fix it yourself or have it fixed. 
mean, how many times do you go to get something fixed and you're like, well, I could get a new one for that. You, you know, you think about... And unfortunately, that's really how we're treating relationships. Well, families, yeah. Yep, True. It, 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 we've, we've crossed that. Right. Okay. Well, oh, so... Jesus has compassion okay. upon yes. people because yes. they're harassed and without a shepherd. And so we just, that's the fact. God's word says it clearly. So we need to understand the nature of Christ even more in God. So Exodus 34, verse 6. Thirty-four verse six, uh, Moses says, "Show me your glory." He goes, "Ah, you can't see my face, or you'll die." So he hides him in the cleft of the rock. There is significance to being hidden in Christ there. Um, but the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, "The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness." Um, and keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, people have a hard time with that, but it's actually prophecy. Because what did they say when they say to crucify Jesus? Let his, be blood, his blood be upon yeah, us God. and our children. Um, so, you know, and again, but that's not his heart. How many people have you, and I see it in the church, especially new believers. They read the Old Testament and they think God is just this quick, angry God. And it's like, well, but he says he's slow to anger. So if that's what he says about himself, maybe we're reading this incorrectly. See, we're reading thousands of years in a few paragraphs. <laughs> right? And so it seems, but how many years did God not punish? How many years did he keep his, his wrath away? How many uh, years did he put blinders on? Right. How many years for us has he, has he held back what we deserve? Right? But this idea of his steadfast love endures forever is found 46 times in the Old Testament. So I, I think he mentions it quite often. Romans 8, then, 38 and 39. How many times? 46. 46. <clears throat> what was it? Romans 8, 38 and 39. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Something that, that we need to believe. You, you know, I, I think we, we face certain things, we see our world, and we don't believe this. You know, it's like, uh, no, nothing's going to separate you from the love. It doesn't mean life's going to be easy. In fact, sometimes it's when it's hard that we experience the love of God in the way we never could have before um, and a humbleness that we couldn't have before. But now let's look at, back to Matthew, lessons from dinner, because there was a dinner provided here. God provides when we cannot. Uh, I think that's something that is a beautiful thing. Uh, if you ever get a chance to read about George Mueller, 
and the orphanages that he opened. There were times where they would sit and pray. There's one story in particular. They prayed, they had no food, and they sat down for dinner like they normally would. And one of the kids said, well, what are we going to eat? And George said, so the story goes, God will provide. And they started praying and thanking the Lord for their food during the prayer. There was a knock on the door. They opened the door. There were groceries there. Nobody was there. So, you know, and the lady and the, have you ever heard the old poor widow who, with the windows open, who would pray that God would provide? My cupboards are bare. And, and her neighbor, who was an atheist, got so upset uh, about, about it that he went and bought groceries and knocked on her door and door ditched you know, her too. And she, see, so then she started going on about thanking the Lord. You, you know, you've heard the story before I take it. He was like, the Lord didn't provide. He goes, I bought those things for you. He goes, yes, he did. He used the devil to pay for it. So, you, you know, uh, so, yeah, you know, uh, so Philippians 4, verse 19. <laughs> first time I heard that story, it was about a 10-minute story. It really set us up for it. I guess the, the, the preacher had to fill his sermon, I suppose. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 19. Again, often when we see these little gems in here, um, the apostles are talking to um, persecuted Christians who have lost everything for the sake of Christ. Uh, it's not like you know, us who, well, you know, I can't go out to Jaker's every night because I can't afford that. Not that I would want to, but, you, you know. Uh, we, we do have good fish and chips. Sometimes. You know, so, <laughs> but, we, we have no, no clue. Yeah, but verse 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This isn't just physical need. This is every need. And that's important for us to remember. And that's the lesson we get. He's providing every need for them. Because Jesus was preaching on the hillside too. It wasn't like he was just given food. He was forgiving he, their sins. He was healing them. He was sharing with them. And then it became late. Second Kings chapter 4. All the way back. Verse 1. Through seven, Second Kings, verse uh, chapter four, verses one through seven. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, "Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves." And Elisha said to her, "What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in your house?" And she said, "Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil." Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. That means get a lot. Then go in and shut your, the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And she, as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man about, of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So this, this woman, husband died. Well, he was the provider, and they had debts, and so the creditors were just going to take her sons from, him, from her. And, well, they'll be our slaves. That's how it worked in those days. And so she cries out, and God provides miraculously, not only for to pay off everything, but also to live on where her sons got to stay with her. 
So he provides miraculously. Consider Matthew 14, verse 20, which we already read. See, I'm, I'm going to hold on to this one for our women's tea. Because okay, The second great. Kings 4, one seven, right. Because I always feel like I'm never doing enough. And Kirk is always feeling like, you're always doing so much. Well, if God wants to keep her, no, but the oil, but the, but the oil ran out. <laughs> because she stopped getting because containers. The, because, because the vessels were in. Right. The vessel is the, the vessel is the bank account. <laughs> the vessel is empty. So. <laughs> Where are we at now? Uh, back to uh, 1420 of Matthew. And they all ate and were satisfied. Um, and, you know, how many times uh, do we eat and are not satisfied? How many times do we look for something? And anything that we try to satisfy our lives with in the world will not satisfy. Um, it just won't. Uh, we try and we try. And I don't know. I find myself thinking, why am I trying to be satisfied with this when I know it's temporary? Temporary. Temporary. Tem- I was going like to say that. temporal. Temporary. And then I said, no, temporary. So just That'll temporary. Be in the dictionary. Temporary. temporary. Well, I got to get enough people to catch on to it. Right? <laughs> but I think, we, I think we get a glimpse of heaven here. This is Jesus sharing. And we will forever be satisfied in heaven. Right? It's very temporary. It's very temporary. You will not be lacking sleep in heaven. You will be completely rested. But I also, it's, it's a lesson for our time on earth. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. You have to wait. I know, I'll wait. We're almost done, so. 1 Timothy 6, 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Um, I think Philippians 4 expounds on this a little bit more. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So what Paul is saying here, you used to provide for me, and then you had a time where you couldn't. It wasn't that you weren't concerned, it's just you had no ability to provide for me. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And he also said, we just read, my God will supply all your need. And so we see that that sustenance for us, Paul's talking obviously earthly to some degree here, but he's also talking about the spiritual. When my spiritual life is right, when I'm looking to Christ and I'm satisfied with him, then I don't need the stuff on this earth that I think that I need. Um, I'm glad that you pointed it out because I just real I was just kind of reading. That's how I saw this, but godliness. Um, it starts with godliness, right? There needs to be a godliness that's coming from the Lord um, for there to even be contentment. Because right. Well, and we see this. The, the, we see the beginning of this, the really the crux of this in John chapter six. 
So John chapter 6, we won't read the whole thing. We probably won't read any of it. I'll just give you a synopsis of it. But this is really where I find where the rubber meets the road with people. Um, Because John 6 verse 66, 666, many disciples left him when they heard these words. Now, what were the words that, that caused him to leave? He was telling them that, that he was the manna from heaven. That in order to have a part with God, you had to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood to have eternal life. And people were freaking out over this. Um, rightly so. Uh, now his disciples didn't, because he asked, are you guys going to leave too? And that's when Peter says, where else shall we go? You have the keys to life. You know, your word is what's true. But I think that what we need to understand, especially from a spiritual realm, is that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy us, and he satisfies that us with his body and his blood. So when we go to the communion table, yes, it's a wafer. Yes, it's wine. Yes, okay? Juice. <laughs> it, yes, yes, it is. But it's also more. Because Christ says, this is my body, this is my blood. And we feed upon it. We're sustained by it. And whenever we try to sustain our spiritual life with something other than what God has provided for us in Christ, we will find ourselves askew and off. That's why you have weird churches out there, right? Well, God's really present when we worship him weirdly, right? God's really present when we, you know, lay on the floor for five hours. God's really present when we go to a healing room. God, no, God's really present in what he says he's present in. This is my body. This is my blood. We want something spectacular that feeds the flesh. And rather than going contentment with what God has provided is what we need. God has provided tangible means of grace in the sacrament of communion. The provision of Christ is plentiful and also beyond our imagination. So scholars can disagree a little bit on this. Um, he, it says that he fed 5,000 besides women and children. Um, so conservative numbers. Conservative numbers is at least 10,000. At least. Some scholars believe as many as 20, and then some will even go up to 40,000. But... but you know, there are a lot of people there that he provided. It wasn't just feeding of the 5,000. Because families were big. Well, they probably were, yes. Um, And you didn't just leave your kids at home like we do today. So uh, the provision of Christ, though, is miraculous and beyond our greatest thoughts and imagination. The disciples never could have imagined that many people being fed. I mean, there, there's no way they were sitting there, well, we have this five loaves and two fish, so just do it with that, Lord. Right? That's plenty for you, right? That wasn't even on their mind. And God said, well, bring them to me. Let's see what happens. So Ephesians chapter 3. We'll have three more verses to wrap up. Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Verses 20 and 21. This ending prayer here, which I think is sometimes maybe we'll end a prayer one of these moments. Maybe we'll end one of our, I don't know. Let me think about this. I say it now and I'll forget tomorrow. But anyway, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. How many times do you, and I'm pointing at myself too, and I, limit God of what he can do because we can't imagine big enough. We can't think 
big enough, right? Luke 137, you're all familiar with this. Uh, I think you are anyway. With God, nothing is impossible. <laughs> with God, nothing is possible. Uh, and I think, so, you know, can he create a rock that is so big that he can't move with God? Nothing's impossible. So that's a stupid question, right? You know, that people ask. And then John 6, verse 63. We'll bring it back to John. And this is what I love about God's word. And the more you read it, you find these little gems. Uh, I've read the Bible. I can't tell you how many times. And it wasn't until, I think, three years ago that this verse really made itself known to me. Um, Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. I think I've just skipped over the flesh is no help at all for years. But I love the honesty of Jesus. Flesh is no help at all. Oh, so that's why Paul said, Having begun in the Spirit, why are you trying to complete it in the flesh? You foolish Galatians. You know, it's like me saying, you guys are a bunch of morons, right? So, so we will pick up after the feeding of the 5,000. We'll move on next week. Thanks for coming out tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for uh, providing for us. Help us to be big dreamers in you. Not to satisfy the flesh, but to watch your provision in miraculous ways. Um, we look for that for what you're doing tonight up at, at uh, the Will Graham Tour. Lord, we pray that it would have an impact not just in Idaho Falls, but also down here in Pocatello, uh, that many would come to know you. Lord, this church, we just pray you would do abundantly more than we can ask or think, not only individually in the hearts of all here, but in their families and their neighborhoods and the community. Thank you, Lord, and please bless Connie in Jesus' name. Amen.